Welcome to the Retail Exchange Podcast. Welcome to the Retail Exchange Podcast. I'm Carl McKeever. On this latest episode of the interview series recorded at Shop Talk Europe 2022, I'm joined by Daniel Lund, co-founder and COO of Europe's largest unstaffed grocery chain, Livs. By the start of the 2000s, almost 60% of Sweden's grocery stores had closed in just two decades. And 90% of those closures were in rural locations. Launched in 2018, Stockholm-based Livs set about reversing this trend with the help of technology. The likes of Amazon Go may be seen as representing the future for urban convenience retail, but for Livs, unstaffed digital supermarkets are already busy transforming rural Sweden. With its commitment to bringing access to fresh food to local communities, it could teach others a thing or two about how to enjoy retail success in low traffic areas and rural communities. In this episode, we explore the story behind Liv's brand and why it classes itself as a technology startup first and a retailer second, and how its business model, with lower labour and store operating costs at its heart, has been key to success. Daniel, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. So look, let's begin by um, finding out a little bit about the Lyft's brand story. Uh, absolutely. Um, well, in, in relating that story, I, I kind of want to bring it back a few years um, and provide some context. First of all, from a personal perspective, I never worked in retail, one even day. I never worked in, in grocery retail, uh, not even a summer job. So we looked at it from a purely perspective from a customer. And what we saw was this trend that started actually in the early 90s, late 80s, of these big grocery store chains closing the local store, closing the the specialty store or the the corner store. And I understand why they did that, because, you know, they weren't as profitable in these smaller concept stores. But they eliminated pretty much every corner store in rural areas and started to build these big box stores and had customers come to them instead. So we looked at that and said, is there a way that we could reestablish that type of service again of local groceries or be able to actually get groceries in your vicinity or where you live? But we found that we need to trust technology. So that was kind of the, the birth of Lyfts, of, of saying that let's control the cost of operations to be able to uh, reestablish uh, service again. So our brand mission is really that re-establish grocery convenience where it's needed the most. So in a nutshell, what is the Lyft's experience? What, what does the Lyft store look like? Well, Lyft store could look like a, a small modular store. It could be a pop-up store. It could be a big box store. It doesn't really matter the size of, of the actual retail store, or the format. It's more of the journey for, for you as a customer. Uh, so we leverage the technology that we all have in our hands, which is the smartphone. So we pretty much move the whole POS system uh, in, into the phone. So inside the store, there is no need for a cashier. You can do everything with your phone. So, so these are completely autonomous stores, no team members. You literally shop and gain access through your smartphone. Correct, yeah. So when, when we re-establish stores, we look at it where, in a sense, how can we make the most out of the location, but also as far as the supply chain? So can I uh, find a lift in a mall, or is it in a neighborhood, or is it on a mountaintop? Where, where would I expect to find a store? Yeah, so today we have 32 stores, uh, and I would say 30 of them will be in, on a field in the middle of nowhere. 
literally. Literally. So yeah. the, so many things around me are kind of cows and sheep and all of those. We have so many pictures of store with backdrops of sheep and uh, <laughs> and wildlife. Uh, no, for real. Coming back to the to the brand story, like where where does it need the most uh, this type of service? And if you're living in the in the city, you have access to convenience. Uh, some stores open longer than others, but you have still access to be able to to buy groceries. But as soon as you move out of, of a larger city, uh, you don't have that access. Uh, so these are twenty four seven three six five, hundred percent. And and how do you go about establishing a store in such a remote location presumably you're not you know wiring these up to the grid no uh, well the the thing is the the biggest challenge was just actually uh, getting po- electric power to the store uh, and internet access uh, those were the challenges that we had uh, and and then really just trusting the system to do the heavy lifting when it comes to the replenishment and and, and ordering and working with suppliers we do have staff, yes, because we have to clean the store and we have to replenish the shelves. But one staff member can actually take care of four to five stores, depending on the distance to the actual, to the stores. And the inventory, are we talking just ambient goods here, long life, non-perishables, or is it also fresh foods as well? Yeah, so, so th- that <laughs> that was a learning that, that I had, even going back that I never worked in groceries. So, so when we looked at it, how much can we fit in one of these modular stores? And, and the first stores that we established, they were only about 30 square meters, so not that big. But we wanted the customer to experience that this is a full service grocery store. So they should have everything from the diapers to the you know, mincemeat to the spices, like everything you would find in, in a regular store. But given also that the size limitations so instead of having five brands of ketchup, we had one, because then we can also fit the mustard. Um, but the value the item had on shelf became very, very important. How on earth did you know which brand to pick? Because clearly, you know, that's where kind of choice for consumer becomes quite important. Yes. You know, uh, you know there might be five different ketchups, but there's only one that I want. Correct. Uh, that's a very good question. Uh, so, so in the beginning, we, uh, we saw it from our own point of view. And so we trusted we're going to work with this brand and we're going to work with X and Y. Um, But then, again, trusting that the the amount of data that we're able to collect, because if you go back to the customer journey, they're using the phone as they're shopping. So now we can pretty much track every movement. So does that mean you're able to kind of switch out brands very quickly? So you can see pretty much within 24 hours whether something is working. Exactly. So um, the first store was just a guessing game. Right, and and then looking at the numbers, saying okay, that X brand is not moving out of shelf. The system pings us and say you ought to rotate this item, um, but not only based on per item, but also as far as far as a concept of the store, because some stores were used more as a convenience stores, more like snacks and, and sodas and stuff. Some stores were used more as your primary store. You, you bought the flour and, and you bought meat and, and, and vegetables. And some stores was just to kind of that grab and go. I, I, so, so now as you have 27 stores, are you able to say that there are different profiles for those? Correct, exactly. Okay. Uh, so, so we pick a location and, and then we say, we believe this will be a, a full service store uh, based on the demographic, based on what we have learned. Uh, and then we open a store 
And then within 14 days, we see the numbers and we trust the data and say, no, this will move more into a convenience store. So you could essentially re-merchandise that store right. and recategorize that store with a different profile. Yes. Wow. Um, and we trust the data very much. Um, but end of the day, we're trying to meet the demands of the customer. Um, for one, they are super happy that we open up a store because they're living in this town that they love to live in, but they used to have a store and they closed five years ago. So now this new company is coming and, and opening up a store. So they are, it's very joyful and everyone is happy. But still, there will be some presumptions from the customer saying that, okay, this store is quite small, so it can't fit whatever I like. Or the, the store is, is small, so it, sh it ought to be expensive. But then if you ask customers, what is expensive? And can you name 10 items? Customers can't really name the price. Mm. It's more of a feeling, right? Right. Uh, or it's it's kind of rooted into the brand of the grocer, that this mm. is supposed to be a... So they have some perceptions that are percep embedded. Correct, right? So what we did, we, we took a different angle. So... Uh, before opening up a store, the town already knows that we're going to open the store because we got the building permit in place, uh, so kind of news of the town. Uh, so people already downloading the app and, and registering the app. So we uh, launched a different feature where we said, please scan your fridge. So we, if there's a town of 1,000 people, we had 950 people scanning their home. And, and use their information to help Correct. build your inventory. Correct. So speaking of ketchup, there might be seven different categories of kind of quality and price of ketchup. Now we got the data beforehand. So instead of have to wait two weeks before rotating, we now beforehand that it's going to be category three of ketchup and category seven of orange juice. Mm. Uh, and, and by doing so, we even becomes even closer with the customer. Right. Even though we're not haven't opened the store yet, <laughs> we get to know You're them. You're already stocking their favorites. Yes. And we are taking away those presumptions. So we tell them, scan your fridge and we'll meet 90% of what you have in your fridge. We'll, we will stock. Mm. So they don't have to guess or think or second guess that we will have their, their item that they like or not. Uh, so really using data together with the customer to meet the demands. Um, and, and for them, the, the convenience of you know, shop close in the vicinity, but also 24-7. So I filled my basket. How do I check out? Yes, yeah, so you fill your basket by, by scanning the items, uh, either on the actual item or uh, on, a, on the shelf label. Um, and a as you're bagging those items, you're virtually uh, building a basket within the app. Uh, and then what customers really like here is that they can access whatever rebate checks they have or campaigns. They can see that in their app directly. Right. And they will actually know if this uh, soda is part of a bundle offer or, or whatever. And those are the tricks that you usually learn from e-commerce. So we can leverage that, but in a physical store. So, um, so that's really neat. And then once you're satisfied, um, you already pre-register your credit card or your debit card. Um, you click pay. Uh, so it's like shopping online. Uh, and then and presumably the door will allow me to then leave once the payment has yes, been accepted. Yes. Right. I guess one of the big challenges must be in a community store, let's say, how do you reconcile 
maybe one of the unspoken needs that people have locally, not around the functional side of grocery shopping. It's more the emotional stuff, yeah. you know, the chat. It's the, it's the person who recognizes you that comes in and you buy the same brand of cat food and you have a small interaction about that little fluffy thing at home and blah, blah, blah. This presumably is a lot more automated as a process. There's none of that, you know, human interaction, right. let's say. It's a fair question. I now see my neighbors. Okay. Because I didn't see them before. So it becomes a meeting. So they're all queuing up to gain access. Yeah. <laughs> it becomes a meeting spot. And then also we add on other types of services. It could be charging your car or it could be a parcel locker for e-commerce or okay. you know, other types of services that you, you might need in, in the community. And people don't hang out in town hall anymore. So even the municipality wants us to communicate their information on our screens okay. because that's where you end up right. meeting people and, and seeing each other. Uh, so do they miss the old kind of cashier clerk? Um, in somewhat, yes. Uh, but that kind of fantasy or at least the fantasy memory you have of walking into a convenience store and they already start bagging your stuff because they know what you want. Sure. Right? But you don't go down the route of having avatars in there with, you know, kind of the friendly cashier, you know. No. Um, but, but uh, you know, given that sense that we are given the uh, impression that we know what you want. Yeah. Right, so we can tailor the, the experience to that end, where uh, we know that you're going to come in for coffee, or you're going to come in for whatever these items that you usually buy, um, and in that sense, we have the capacity, as it's computer-driven, <laughs> to keep track on that better than the, it's the old personal, clerk. but not personalized. Exactly, in yeah. a sense. Yeah. So I, I believe you you stock around about 500 products in an average store. Um, Many people now, though, want much more than that. Um, can you give them more? Is there such a thing as maybe a click and collect service or something like this? Absolutely, yeah. Um, so we have, in a sense, kind of the endless aisle kind of concept by providing BOPIS, like buy online, pick up in store, or click and collect. Uh, so that's part of, of the experience as well. Um, in a sense, de depending on the size of the store, it's a one huge locker. <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh, of click and collect, uh, if you will. Um, but if you want to have access to other types of items, specialty items, we can offer that. So I can have all six brands of ketchup? Yes, at one time. Okay, very good. <laughs> you, you're getting big. You see I'm, I'm a big ketchup eater yes, here. Yes, yeah. no, for sure. We'll, we'll, we'll satisfy your needs. Excellent. So tell us, if you can, what is the tech that's powering the app and, and powering the stores? Yes, so the brain, if you will, uh, the platform, um, we call it StoreKey. Um, and, and it's really the platform that we rely on 24-7 as well. It's the one platform that we power with AI and machine learning that, you know, suggests a, a, a coupon or a, or a drive. So could this potentially be franchised independently? You don't necessarily have to have the Lyft's store name, yes. but you could have the technology, but a local store name. Yeah, we're opening up stores now in Ireland, in Finland, uh, and they are not Lyft stores. They are Tom's grocery store or... Uh, Peter's flower store. Uh, it doesn't have to be groceries. Um, so anything that you already want to remove friction for the customer, you know, remove friction in the sense of that you don't have to have a cashier line or can actually help the customer finding the product in store quick or, or whatever friction it might be. You're solving so much by just leveraging the phone. And while you do that, 
the retailer reaps all the benefits of being able to collect a tremendous lot of data. Because um, if you think about retail and the nuts and bolts of retail, it's about staying current with your assortment and pricing. And to really stay ahead of that, it's, it's hard to guesstimate, right? So you have to trust the numbers in, in a sense. And, and if you're not able to collect data, you have to start collecting data. And you experience this every day when you walk into a store. Right, as you're shopping around and then you're standing in line by the cashier, once you're about to pay, the only thing they ask is if you're a loyalty member. And that's because they want to collect data about you as a customer. But the whole paradox here is that when you identify yourself as a customer, you're now exiting the store, you're walking out. So the retailer now has to do everything in the power to get you back. <laughs> um, so what the store key platform can do for us is that we onboard the customer as they enter the store uh, and then learn the behavior and help the customer. Yeah, and the data is being collected across the whole journey right through to payment at the end. Correct. Uh, and that makes a huge impact. Presumably you, you're having a uh, a big warehouse operation somewhere where all of those goods are dispatched to each of the 27 different stores. Well, yeah, yes and no. Uh, we work very close with our vendors and, and suppliers and distributors and, and most of them are actually delivered all the way to the store. So this is direct drop shipping to each yes. of the stores. Yeah, and, and imagine the um, the change that they had to do, right? If, if you were a big dairy producer uh, and you get an order from a regular kind of big box store, they used to roll in these wheels of, <laughs> of dairy products. And we say, we want one mixed, you know, a couple of whole milk, <laughs> some sour cream. And to them, like, well, no, we cannot mix up. So does this mean trucks are turning up at the store for replenishment pretty much all the time? Uh, well, we, we want it to be as efficient as possible. But if if we just take the, the ground principle, rather, you know, stock one store twice or three times a week than having a thousand people drive half an hour to the nearest city uh, to shop groceries. Um, but one thing, again, the learnings that, that we had to take was when we picked the, the assortment of 500 plus items, each item was as equal as important to us. But if you're running a, a grocery store, they're not. Like you cannot be sold out for milk or eggs or, you know, you can never be sold out. You can be sold out from some funky mustard uh, at one given time. Uh, so again, trusting the system of when to order, at what thresholds, will that trigger an automatic order to a vendor, and then optimize it on their end so they don't have to come for just the mustard, but they will come when they bring other stuff as well. And does the uh, supplier also take responsibility for all the, the cost of transportation? It's, in, I mean, yes, it's, it's part of a negotiation, obviously. Right. Um, but if, if you think about in their shoes, uh, they're now working with a grocery retailer that is not in any way kind of uh, challenging the, the larger groceries volumes uh, of, of, uh, of the product that they order from them. But we are able to give them so much more insight. Uh, and we're also giving them the opportunity to brand more. Because if you go into any larger grocery store day, there's a lot of white label products, uh, kind of, you know, company-owned products. Um, and the actual brand are losing shelf visibility due to that fact. Um, so we don't have our own. So there's no uh, lifts, uh, private label, white label no. products, which is quite interesting because for a lot of the big grocers, that's clearly where they make their Correct. greatest margin yeah. improvement. Yes, of course. 
But if if we if you think about, it, I saw this indicative graph one time where they compared a brick and mortar store uh, compared to a pure player, and the interesting stuff was that the brick and mortar store actually had a higher EBITDA than the pure player, and this is within groceries because. If you're going to deliver groceries, the cost of delivery is so high because you work with fresh goods, uh, you work with different climate zones, and uh, the baskets are very different. It's such a wide assortment. So running a brick-and-mortar store actually is more profitable today. We're trying to work out the last mile, right? Um, and working on eliminating the cost of operation of kind of rent and staff, so gaining profit there, Yes, we perhaps have to pay a bit more than our competitive grocer when it comes to buying milk. Um, but that's fine. We'll still be more profitable if we do it correctly. Mm. And now having 32 stores across Sweden on locations where they usually had a store that didn't stay profitable, and we are, proves to us that it works. And presumably this puts you in a very strong negotiating position with each of the brands because if you are stocking only one particular of a category, uh, you have a lot of people knocking on your door saying, stock me. Correct, exactly. Uh, so we can leverage that as well. Um, and I had one supplier telling me that usually how they go about it if they are releasing a new flavor of one of their products, they, they invite a focus group uh, and they sit and let people try, and then they say, well, it's a man, 42, um, that we will build this nationwide marketing campaign towards. That's, that's our customer. Uh, so I told them, why don't you just release it on, on our chain of stores? We puff it on, in the application. So once, once you walk in, you know, we, we brand it, and we can tell you live data that it's going to be a woman, 37, and she also likes X product, and she buys uh, onions. <laughs> and, you know, we can be as detailed. Which, to the brands, is important marketing information. So much, right? Yeah. Um, so, again, there are pros and cons of being a small player, but we can be more agile and be more open and work with what we have. Want to put your business and message in front of senior retail leaders? We hear you. Own the conversation with the Retail Exchange podcast and reach the people that matter. Use podcast advertising, sponsorship, and brand custom content from the Retail Exchange to tap into our audience of senior retail leaders from some of the world's biggest retailers and brands. With a range of options available, tailored to reach the right people in the right context for the most effective results. To know more, Visit theretailexchange.co.uk to download our media pack or call our advertising team in the UK on 02080 506 028. The Retail Exchange, your industry podcast. One of the things that strikes me as interesting here is, is look, there are other people now in this space. So the autonomous grocery store is a thing which is here. Uh, we have discounters doing it. We have huge international people like Amazon doing it. And I guess they command a lot of the headlines. How does that feel? Because you guys were sort of out there first. Well, uh, <laughs> I think Amazon and us, we started pretty much at the same yeah. same month. Um, and then there's been players in, in Asia. Uh, so there's been a couple of Chinese companies doing autonomous stores longer than, than we have and, and Amazon. And they were, I think, on originally on a vending model, weren't they? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, so... so 
To me, um, the Amazon is pulling headlines. It's it's obviously natural given the size of the company they they are, and um, I only like that because it's driving consumer behavior, where a, a consumer today doesn't have to accept standing in line or, you know, removing that friction should be a part of every retailer's experience. Uh, so to me, that's a good thing. Uh, then there are different ways of, of tackling autonomous stores. So um, as you might be aware of, Amazon is camera tracking based. Um, but for um, a retailer to kind of retrofit your store uh, into an autonomous store, with all the uh, investments uh, that you have to take. Considerable uh, investments. Considerable investments. That's, that's perhaps why you see a lot of stores and brands, they have a pilot or two uh, where they're playing around with the system and learning the systems. But there are very few that have actually left a pilot or proof of concept into a nationwide rollout with autonomous stores because I believe they have a, fine, a hard time finding the ROI. Um, so, so our angle was, why do we have to install all these super high-tech computer vision cameras when we can leverage the phone? It works fine. <laughs> uh, and there's no heavy lifting when it comes to investment. Mm. Um, so we're helping um, gas stations. We're helping florist chains. We're helping so many, so many different verticals within retail. They're having existing stores. They can extend open hours now. And the only thing they have to invest in, if they want to extend open hours, is electronic lock. Yeah, and I guess in part the cameras are also there to manage shrinkage, for yeah, example, yes. you know, theft. Um, is that a problem within your own business? Yeah, so if you look about unmanned or cashierless or whatever you want to call it, autonomous stores, uh, if you don't have the presence of staff looking at, you know, every customer, uh, you will have shoplifting. Uh, if you go into a regular store, you will have shoplifting. So we wanted to be at par of whatever a regular store have when it comes to shrinkage. Uh, so there are two ways you go about that. And we look at it uh, at kind of two pillars. One is the psychology behind shoplifting. Uh, so if you are an individual with the intention to steal a can of Coke, I would recommend going to a regular store where nobody knows you. Then go to a store where you pre-registered and said, hi, I'm Daniel. I'm walking into one of your stores and I'm on camera <laughs> and you'll see everything. So it won't be the smartest guy trying to steal fr from us, um, just given that sense. Uh, the second part of the psychology would be that using your phone, there is some subconscious feeling with every person that whatever I do now is being tracked. If it's from our own application or for the phone, and, you know, it's positioning myself here at this given time. And the third aspect on the psychology aspect is that where we place our stores are mostly in, in these smaller towns where everybody knows each other. So if there's a thousand people living, 999 of them are nice. So there's a culture to try and do the right thing and be a good citizen. Yeah. And I, I don't think you want to be the, the parent to the kid who made sure that they were stealing so much. So we closed shop and left and really make it worse for the community. So we actually get emails and people calling us saying, hey, there's a guy in the store now. I don't know the guy. Right. You know, th that's how it works. Then you have the technical aspects. You have the psychology aspect and you have the technical aspect. And from the technical standpoint, we are doing everything that we can to 
identify behavior. So it could be like you opened the door, but you didn't buy anything. That could happen. You didn't find that specific item for, uh, for any reason. If that happens once more, the system triggers and, and say, we should take a, a look at, at this individual. Um, and given the fact that the stores are quite small and we replenish so often and frequently, we detect any discrepancies on shelf value. Uh, so then the system tells us this ought to happen last night between X time. So if it's worth our while, we'll check cameras and then we'll see who the person is. Uh, and then we can deny them that person access to the store until they paid. Uh, so today we have actually a lower shrinkage level than a regular store, given those two facts. Mm. And the psychology by all counts sounds like it's, it's doing quite an important job there in terms Absolutely. of a deterrent factor. Yeah. Absolutely. One, one of the things that um, all retailers are trying to battle, especially those that have really gone into the e-com space, is making their experience truly frictionless. Um, what challenges have you faced there and how have you overcome them? Well, to me, friction, as, as a retailer, you have to understand, first of all, that there's no one definition of frictionless. So there's no one definition for the customer. So for me, it could be skipping, standing in line. For someone else, it's about helping them find the product in store or whatever it might be. And same thing, there's no one definition for the retailer. Uh, so retail, in a sense, is a huge industry, right? So given all the verticals within retail, a shoe store might have different challenges than a grocery store and a hardware store. So what are the friction that they want to eliminate and where can they actually rely on technology to help their staff. Today, if you walk into a store, a staff member needs to do so many different things, right? They have to do inventory, they have to meet customers, they have to stand in, behind the cashier, they have to do so many things, you know, collect a return from, from online. And you think this is one of the inherent problems now of, of a legacy retailer uh, that's come from a traditional retail model, you know, built a business with all of these different specialisms and, and, and complexities. And as they now try and move into an e-coms model too, yeah. essentially kind of the, the one size does not fit all and, and the model is being stretched in many ways to breaking point. Right. Um, and we see that. And, and that's why retailer comes to us. And they say that we have invested and we have this legacy when it comes from the POS or we added this tool and, and we added this module and we have all this technology, but it's not really working together. Mm. Uh, the system is not talking to each other. We acquire data, but it's very fragmented. And no one's taking the insights from the data? They don't really know what to do with the data uh, because they don't really trust the data because it's fragmented. Uh, so is this a complete picture of the customer or is it just one fragment of the customer? Um, so what we just tell them is that the one thing you have to do is invest in a unified commerce platform, um, such as Storky or someone else, that will collect this data, that will jack into whatever systems you have. Because luckily for us right now, everything is in the cloud, right? So they're used to in more of the, the physical POS, you know, and kind of hardwire everything. Now everything is in the cloud, so it's so much easier to integrate. So at least you have one dashboard where you see all data. Uh, and then it becomes much easier to act on. But then you have to respect that AI is stupid without data. So you won't get an AI popping up recommendations on a campaign that will suit you after a week or two, 
or perhaps not even after a year, depending on how much data you're collecting and, and providing to the system. Um, yeah, so this is a challenge for many retailers. But what I tell them, and I, I feel that everyone knows it, that they have to take this step because retailers, generally speaking, are more reactive than, than innovative. Um, they, they react to threats. So internet came and e-commerce came and now everyone has an e-commerce website. Um, but when they started that e-commerce website, they hired a new head of sales, a new head of marketing, and they put them over there in the office. Um, but they, they made the fundamentally wrong decision of collecting data separately. And right? now it's all about the integration. And it. now it's all about this blend. Because for me as a customer, it doesn't matter if I walk into Target store or Target.com. It's still Target. But I get different experiences because they're giving me different experiences. And so that I'll see, you know, within the five to 10 years has to be eliminated. Otherwise, the retailer won't survive. And I mean, our kids today, they love shopping in a physical store because they often know what they want. And they want the immediacy of getting the item as they walk out, even though we have brands that will deliver to them next day or even the same day. The gratification of, of getting the, the item that they want, that they came for, it's why they love physical stores and all the aspects of you know trying and smelling and, and testing. But if there's friction, they won't come back. You've mentioned a couple of times in our conversation that uh, you're not a retailer and you sort of almost wear that with a badge of pride. Um, tell me about your early years. How did you kind of get into this business? What was the start point for you? Well, uh, I, I, I founded my first business still in school. Um, so I, I tend to think that I fell in love with the feeling of taking an idea into market, um, even if, if it's a a service or a product. And what uh, was that business? Well, th that business was uh, giving every high school student in Sweden free notebooks. Um, and I found a way to sell advertisement on the cover. Um, so it was a beautiful business. Um, I don't know if it succeeded because I was naive and, and young <laughs> and didn't know what, what could go wrong. Um, but um, that kind of propelled me into the entrepreneurial kind of uh, spirit. And since then, it's taken me to different verticals and countries and different industries. Um, so I wouldn't say that I have a specific passion for a, a specific industry. It's more of creating, uh, taking an idea and, and, and bring it to life. In that sense, a true entrepreneur. Yeah, you can say so, yeah. My final question would be, um, if you could change one thing in retail, you know, almost what would be your legacy? What would you like to leave behind? Oof. Um, the quest that we are on right now of digitalizing the whole physical store is too wide to leave as a legacy because, I, again, there won't be one size fits all and uh, one technology that will be the one for every store. Um, I would love to look back and say that, you know what, we increase the quality of life for X number of people by providing them service. If it's through our Lyft store chain or if it's through a flower store, it doesn't really matter. Um, but we made their lives easier and better um, by providing them access uh, and convenience. So something which for you was very disruptive for them was something which just brought everyday benefits to in an easier, simpler life. Yeah, absolutely. I would love that looking back. Thank you very much, Daniel. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
That's all we have time for on this episode of the Retail Exchange Podcast. From me, Carl McKeever, goodbye and thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Retail Exchange Podcast. Subscribe online at theretailexchange.co.uk and join the debate on Twitter. Hashtag Retail Exchange. Thanks for listening.